We see Jesus, Hebrews 20, 20, increment 14. And for the first time, when we print out this, the notes for this service today, it will be not a Greek phrase in the title, but a Latin phrase. And I think you'll find it very interesting. If you stay tuned till the, till the end of this message, you may have a little bit of a surprise about why we chose this title, We See Jesus. We're going to begin with a word of prayer. We're aware that in this time, this present time, when people are pretty much holed up in their homes and should be, that the Lord is fulfilling a promise in Zechariah to pour out a spirit of grace and supplications on the house of David, that house of David, of course, being God's people in any age, and the son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the head of our household. He is our great high priest, and we are, high pri- we are under his high priesthood as a household of priests. So we continue our supplications at this time to him, but we continue our attentiveness to the spirit of grace, a spirit of grace is not only found in that Zechariah prophecy, but also in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29. And so we are reasoning along with the spirit of grace at this time, staying tuned day by day to his voice. And so as we begin today's message, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, but rather be all the more attentive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to see Jesus portrayed by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. May this message travel forth with power, with clarity, and with the ability to edify and strengthen, comfort and console, build up and elevate the souls and spirits of your people and all who listen to this message. We're asking once again that you will place a limit on our present situation, the present crisis, the present health crisis, and that you will place a limit based on your grace on this particular time. We pray that you'll bring a unity not only within our nation and the nations, but within your people. Most of all, Father, glorify your Son by this message, for we ask it in his name. Amen. We have customarily led off all of our biblical series with a kind of overriding question for intelligence whose answer comes slowly into view during the course of our study. In every case, the answer that comes into view is inextricably linked to Jesus. In our study of John's apocalypse called Rev the Book, The question was, is God's judgment destructive ultimately, or is it ultimately restorative? In our study called Better Call Paul, which morphed into a study of Romans, the epistle, which we called Reading Romans with the Light On, the question was, do all of Paul's epistles taken together take the form and function of an apocalypse or a revelation, a disclosure of Jesus Christ in his universally saving significance. Now, with Hebrews 20.20, we're also leading off with two questions. 
Both of these questions are twofold. The first twofold question is, how does he who is already the eternal son of God and who always eternally existed become better than the angels? And how does the son whose name is already Yahweh inherit a name that is so much more excellent than the names of the angels? The second twofold question is, in what sense did the son as the source of our eternal salvation become perfect or complete? And why through suffering? Now today, because of these questions and because the first of these questions arises from the initial exordium or introduction, Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, we'll apply ourselves to the first question first. The second question comes into play later in chapter 2. So consider the initial exordium, as it's called, or introduction in Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. We read this repeatedly so that it gets into our hearts. In many parts and in various ways long ago, God who spoke provisionally to the fathers in the prophets in these last days has spoken definitively to us in a son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he made the universe who is the visible radiance of God's glory and the exact visible self-representation of his invisible reality who upholds the universe and carries everything that happens in it through the course of all time toward a redemptive objective, who has made purification for sins, who has sat down in the highest heights at the right hand of the eternal majesty, having become as much better than the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Verse 4 is our present focus. The Son has become as much better than the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We learn much later in Hebrews, namely all the way in 1222, that there are myriads of angels envisioned as being in a joyously celebratory gathering. Muriasin, Angelon, Pan Egure, a multitude of really innumerable multitude of angels in festal gathering in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The word Muriasin, M-U-R-I-A-S-I-N, where we get the word myriads, can either be ten thousands, or it can be indicative of an innumerable number. When we think of joy among the angels, at one sinner who is granted repentance, Luke 15.10, as Jesus spoke, it is difficult to imagine the angels' joy as they celebrate. For example, when the nations were granted repentance in Acts 11.18. 
if their joy is so great and their celebration so phenomenal, when one sinner repents or is granted a turning to God and to Christ, how much more? It's almost difficult to imagine the joy among the angels when the nations are granted repentance, as Acts 11.18 says, or even when in accordance with God's will, all come to repentance and none are left out. Second Peter 3.9, First Timothy 2.4, compared with Second Timothy 2.25 and Romans 2.4, all of which point to the fact that God in his grace grants repentance. The joy among the innumerable angels will be unspeakable and full of glory. First Peter 1.8 says that's our kind of joy when we truly have an expectation of the glorious revelation and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When every eye sees him, every knee genuflects worshipfully to him, every tongue confesses or acknowledges allegiance to him and sings praise to him. We're speaking of angels here, as the Hebrew writer is, but more importantly, we're speaking of the Son, capital S-O-N, who has become immeasurably better than all of those innumerable, rational super beings that we call angels, and who has inherited a name that is immeasurably superior to any of the names of the angels. So again, The question is, how did the Son become so much better than the innumerable angels? And how did he inherit a name so much better than any name that any angel has? As you can tell, I'm not in a real hurry to answer this question. You might even say that I'm leading you on. However, taking our time, allows a lot of good doctrine to collect in our souls and teaches us how to reason with the scriptures and to think with the spirit of grace. Now let's consider this. This is angelology or the study of angels, the theological study of angels. Angels have names. The canonical scriptures are almost silent about angelic names. Gabriel is probably the most famous and best known. An apocryphal source mentions an angel by the name of Uriel, U-R-I-E-L, as an angel's name, while Hebrew tradition names Raphael as an angelic name. We're not privy to many personal names of angels, and some are courier angels, some are cherubim, some are seraphim. They're classed and classified in Scripture, but rarely is any angelic name mentioned. This, of course, serves to give accent and emphasis to the name Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who is God and man in one person. As the Scripture says, some are archangels, some are principal angels, and some are courier or herald angels. Some are called seraphim, and they lead the worship of the triune God, as we see in Isaiah chapter 6. Whatever their title or whatever their rank, 
all the angels are worshipers of God. For as Hebrews 1 6 will say, alluding to Psalm 97 7, let all God's angels worship him. Both the Son's superiority to angels and his superior name, however, were awarded to him following his acceptance of a position lower than the angels for a little while. He assuming the assuming of this state and condition by him was explicitly, quote, so that by God's grace, he would taste death for all. Hebrews 2.9, very important verse, Hebrews 2.9. That's the verse from which we selected our title, We See Jesus. He goes on to say, We See Jesus, after a long hyphen and an insertion of some doctrinal information, we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Now, hang on to that thought. Now, the connection of angelology with the word about Christ, which we call Christology, in both chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Hebrews, links both of our twofold questions. Again, how does he who is already the eternal son and who already eternally exists become better than the angels? And how does the son whose name is already Yahweh inherit a name that is so much more excellent than the name of all the angels. And in what sense did the Son, as the source of our salvation, become perfect? Hebrews 2.9 and Hebrews 5.9, of course, or complete. And why through suffering does he become complete or perfect? The second question is also asked in the context of the eternal son becoming inferior to the angels for a little while, 30 plus years. The first question is with respect to the son becoming better than the angels and inheriting a name that is superior to theirs. So we have kind of a cross-section of angelology here with Christology. We're doing a theological exegesis of the epistle to the Hebrews, written by a pastor theologian addressing a group of people in crisis in the 60s AD. So what is coming into focus here, to keep with our seeing and sight analogy? Coming into focus is the son inheriting a name above the angels that he became better than the angels and that he inherited the name above the names of all the angels after, after following, that is, being made lower than the angels for a little while, after he had suffered and after, by the grace of God, he had experienced death, which Paul calls the wages of sin, and that Jesus experienced death for all. It doesn't even say all human beings, though it means that. It means all of humanity, as some translations pick up on this. But it also means all and points to the whole of the creation which God made in the Son or through the Son. Now let's take another approach to our question. 
This one is from another theological functional specialty. There are at least nine of these. Another theological functional specialty called history. Consider the name of a famous Roman named Publius Cornelius Scipio, or pronounced some by some Scipio. We'll stick with Scipio. Also known as Scipio the Elder. Scipio lived from around 236 B.C. to about 183 B.C. He was a politician, and he was a general of the Roman army. He was most famous for defeating the formidable general Hannibal in northern Africa in the Battle of Zama. It's even in the dictionary, Z-A-M-A, in what today is called Tunisia. Scipio had developed a tactic whereby his infantry could defeat Hannibal's army even though Hannibal attacked in line after line of men on the backs of elephants. Scipio had, inv- had actually invented a tactic, a military tactic, whereby his men could move in between the, lo- the lines of attacking elephants and defeat those lines. And therefore, his defeat of Hannibal at Zama in 202 B.C., brought an end to an 18-year war. Sounds a little bit like the length of the war we fought in Afghanistan. He brought to end, the end, the Second Punic War in 202 B.C. by his defeat of Hannibal in North Africa in 202 B.C. By his major heroic exploit, Publius Cornelius Scipio inherited... Listen carefully, inherited the name Scipio Africanus because of the victory that he and his army wrought at Zama in Africa in enemy territory. You see my point? I think you do. Scipio was born Scipio, but through his mission to Africa and the stunning success of that mission, He was given the title of honor and glory when he returned to Rome. That title is Scipio Africanus, a new name, a name of entitlement and glory. No doubt he received that Stephanos crown along with it. The analogy is clear by now, I think. As Scipio was born Publius Cornelius Scipio, but inherited the name, inherited the name, Scipio Africanus, through an accomplished wartime mission. So, Jesus, born with the name Yeshua, Jesus, also inherited that name, Jesus, as the name above all names. For the name means Yahweh saves, and by his being made a little lower than the angels... By his suffering of death and tasting or experiencing death as the wages of sin for all humanity, by his purification of sins and his one-time self-sacrifice by which he put away sin and then was raised from the dead and elevated back to heaven, he inherited a name that is above all the names of the angels. And in fact, 1 Peter 3.22 says, angels were subordinated to him. He's the victor of the greatest battle ever fought. 
So because he had become so much greater than they, through the accomplishment of a mission as a purely human being and a purely divine man, his name is still Jesus, but it's immeasurably superior to those angels under whom he became inferior for a little time. His name is still Jesus, the name given to him when he became flesh. But now, the name Jesus is so great after his suffering and death that at the announcement of the name Jesus, Yahweh saves in person. Every knee will genuflect in worshipful subordination Every tongue will give praise to him, to the glory of God the Father. We've only begun to entertain the implications of these two questions and our quest for answers. For today, for today, consider that the world is occupied almost to the point of obsession now with something called the coronavirus. Corona means crown. Now perhaps I've challenged you in this sermon to the point where you even got a bit impatient with me, not coming forward with the answer so quickly. Well, let me say this. You weren't thinking of the coronavirus during that time, were you? Maybe our minds were occupied with Jesus, who is crowned with a corona of glory and honor. The Greek is doxe kai time estaphenomenon, crowned with a crown of glory and honor, after being made for just a little while lower than the angels. Now, In late January of this year, 2020, when I began to think of a title for our next series, our present series, Hebrews 2020, We See Jesus really popped up. It's part of a clause from Hebrews 2.9. The verse in its totality says, but we do see Jesus. For a little while, he was made inferior to angels, for the suffering of death, in order that by the grace of God he would taste of death on behalf of all. Then there's a long hyphen, and it says, crowned with glory and honor. So if you took out the whole middle part, you would simply see, we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. The noun for crown in the Greek is stephanos, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-O-S. In Latin, and I've looked at the Latin translation, that's why I say this message will be entitled by a Latin phrase, not a Greek phrase, just this one time at least. The word is corona. The verb form to crown is used in Hebrews 2.9 in both Latin and the Greek text. The Latin Vulgate captures it as the word coronatum, coronatum, C-O-R-A, 
O-N-A-T-U-M, crowned with glory and honor. Now, the Lord obviously foresaw the coronavirus and planned that we would be occupied not with a crown of disease, but with the crown of glory that's on our Lord Jesus Christ, who wore a crown of thorns during his ordeal of the cross, in which he experienced death for all of humanity and for all of creation, so that all of humanity in all of its times and all of creation could be lifted to glory and honor and dignity in the new creation of all things for eternal life. Now, normally on our Sunday services, we have songs, and they are sadly missing. We also have an offering, and at this time, I know that obviously many people are enduring not only a crisis, a social crisis, and a health crisis, but also a financial crisis. And so I usually don't like to mention the subject of finances at all, But I I will pray along with all of you and make it known that I don't want to forbid the generosity of people either because there is a gift of giving that is remunerated by God greatly. And we don't want to forbid that. So we do want to mention that not only will this message be up online, but there is a little tab, I believe, on the homepage where you can have online giving. Now, that again is only... As you are motivated, it's never an obligation. We never have presented it as that, but it is an opportunity. And we don't want to forbid that now, though we're extremely aware of all of the financial crisis that people are enduring at the present time. Father, we thank you most of all and infinitely above all. We thank you for the opportunity of this message. May it travel forth and find root in the hearts of many believers and many unbelievers, may they be awakened to faith in this wonderful Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. May we not be overtaken by the obsession with a disease or with a crisis, but may we be overcome with the occupation of the Christ. Not obsession with a crisis, but occupation with your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we commit ourselves to you as we have learned We present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. We present our souls to you and commit them to you as a faithful creator in this time of crisis. We commit our, entrust our spirits to you. We entrust our spirit into your hands. We entrust our families to you and their care. And we give you our hearts afresh so that we may be taught by you. Again, Father, it is so urgent that you occupy your people, that you allow us to be occupied with your son, crowned with glory and honor, so that we can pray effectively. And instead of be worried, be mobilized to prayer and supplication and intercession and sensitivity toward those who have true needs. And so, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray for every person who hears this message, that they may receive comfort, but even greater than that, that they may be able to pass along the comfort and the consolation that is in Christ. For there are many ways still to communicate 
even though we seem to be locked in our homes for the present time. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for the man, Christ Jesus, who is the only mediator between God and all of humanity and who gave his life as a ransom for all. The testimony of that is being given in its due time, and today is that due time. Thank you for your attentiveness, and we're all done for today. Jim McClory and I are about 60 feet apart. We're the only people in the building, and it's our pleasure to serve you, and we'll see you soon.